Good evening, everyone. Friends, um, now that you've had a two-week break from me and the way I preach, and the abbot I heard gave a five-minute homily, and that is why he is an abbot, <laughs> because he is wise indeed. My friends, uh, our first reading from the prophet Isaiah it is part of the um, suffering servant hymns of Isaiah, the great prophet. And uh, what he's getting at in the particular one we hear today is about reparation, not in the way the world uses reparation now, but this reparation is an offering, uh, and the Jewish word is asham, and it is compensation for something that is due, and in this case, something that is due God. And uh, he, uh, the word, uh, it says he, the Lord was pleased, but in the English, that's the only way they, they put it forth. But for those who study Greek and, and Hebrew, there's a different meaning. And what uh, the song is getting at is that this innocent person, and through the lens of Christianity, we recognize it as Jesus Christ, um, that uh, he will be declared innocent. The word justify that is used here means to be made, to be declared innocent. Who declares him innocent? God himself declares him innocent. And my friends, uh, the letter to Hebrews, um, I've been studying Hebrews in the, this past month because um, I wanted to understand more uh, of this letter. And um, here uh, in this letter, uh, the writer, uh, we assume, is Paul. Uh, he says, we have a high great priest. There is only one. There is only he, Jesus Christ. He is the great high priest. There are no others. Never in the past and never in the future. Only him. And he says, we have this. And he has passed through the gates of heaven. And it is his right. Jesus, the son of God. And he said, we will hold to our confession. What confession? That Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and there is no other. And it goes on to say, and we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has similarly been tested. What the author is telling us about, he's making a reference to the 40 days in the desert, but also throughout all of Jesus' life, Satan never gave up but tormented him. And his response was always, my father's will. My father's will. We don't do that. My will is what we say. And you can look at me and say, oh, no, no. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because I do. And I'm a human like you are. But Jesus did not. He said, my father's will. Be done. And in this, the writer says, we have this great high priest who understands because he was tormented in all the ways that we can be, except for sin, meaning he responded to the temptations by rebuking them and rejecting them. And then it goes on, so you and I, because of him, not because of anything we do, but because of him, we are able to approach the throne of grace, the 
the throne of God. We are able to approach the throne of God to find mercy, to find diamonds and jewels. No, to find something of greater value, mercy and grace. And my friends, in order to understand Mark, we have to understand the terms that he's using. Um, cup that is being referenced here by Mark. Cup is something that's put in front of you for you to, be, to take up and to drink. We understand that. But here it is used as a, it's not even a metaphor. It's an image of one's fate as given by God. In Jesus' time, it was the father, the head of the household, who appropriated food and drink. So this cup means this has been given by God to his son. This is his fate, if you will. There's not, I can't think of a better word for that. Um, and um, the word baptism uh, is not the way we understand it in Christianity. Baptism here uh, is a task that is given. One is bathed in it. And in particular, in light of the first reading, uh, the baptism that Jesus is referring to will be one of humiliation and suffering. And a suffering that is redemptive. And this is part of the, re the suffering that uh, is going on here. There is all kinds of suffering. This particular type of suffering is redemptive. Uh, we hear it in the first, it's a, it's a form of ransom, if you will. Uh, in Jesus' time, one couldn't ransom themselves for a family member. So if a family member was put into prison, uh, the family member could come and say, I will give you money, release them. So uh, what we're getting at is he is coming and he is going to ransom himself for us, for our freedom. Freedom from What? sin and death, eternal death, so that we can approach, as Hebrews says, the throne of grace, that we may come before God. In the gospel, Jesus uh, is making a reference. Uh, the Greek word is exousia, uh, that is to force subjugation, to make someone subjugated to you by force, whether it be political uh, or emotional. Um, Jesus is making a distinction between that. Uh, the Greek word that he uses is very, very particular. Diakonos. Waiter. Service. And it's important for us to under, understand the, the terms that are being used, otherwise we, we, we won't get it. And... Uh, in this gospel, then, uh, as Jesus does, he contrasts the world's standards by his own. And he is the Son of God. He is the high priest. He is the eternal king. And yet, what we come to understand is he puts, he empties himself of all of this out of love for us because his father asked He puts all of that aside, all of his majesty, the one who created all things. And he puts it aside for us. And Jesus seeks nothing for himself. 
in this. Most of us who live in this fallen world do just the opposite. We tend to use all of our resources for ourselves, even to the point of treating others with great disrespect and unjustly. Thinking that we deserve honor and prestige and majesty, and we demand it whenever we can. As I traveled the past two weeks, I was able to watch people. That was one of my goals, was to watch people, to see what they were doing, what they were saying, how they were acting. And I watched people treating others with such great disrespect by their words and their unkindness. And yet, I also was witness to some of the most kindest and tenderest moments one that will never leave me as I watched a little poor old lady in an ancient Jewish neighborhood in Rome. Clearly poor, clearly disadvantaged. And I watched a young man, no older than this one, approach the woman and hug her and kiss her hand. And he opened her hand and put in money and waved goodbye to her and ran into his father's arms. I witnessed people treating waiters in restaurants with great disrespect. I use that because of the word diakonos, that is, Jesus uses it in the Greek. I watched service people being mistreated in stores and in the market square. My will be done, seemed to be the motto, rather than May God's will be done in these things. That was Christ's model throughout his whole life. And because he was faithful to it, he put our salvation before his majesty, before his honor, before his comfort. This fundamental attitude is most eloquently displayed in Christ's prediction of his suffering. In today's passage, which echoes the prophecy of the great prophet Isaiah in our first reading, Jesus goes into more detail of his coming fate. He gives a play-by-play -play account of what will happen to him. The unjust condemnation, the physical and emotional torture the mockery, and finally, the crucifixion. Jesus is fully aware of what awaits him in Jerusalem. And he does not turn aside. He does not complain. This shows that everything he will suffer, he will suffer willingly 
not for any benefit that accrues to him, even though the first reading implies that when we go back and look at it. But for your salvation and mine, and for the greater glory of his Father, and that his Father may have honor. Jesus became incarnate and lived and died for you and I. He had no self-centered agenda. He came to serve and to give his life for you and I. That is the way of our Lord, our high priest. And it must be the same way for his disciples. And I'm not about the 12, I'm talking about the 200 here. What awaited Jesus awaits us. But we cannot get to heaven without Good Friday, each one of us. We must also approach the cross in order to approach that throne. Jesus' constant teaching was that his followers must be humble, that they must be willing to serve others. Framed by his words, any one of you who aspires to greatness must be the slave of others. Whoever wants to rank first must be the slave. That summarized his teaching, which he taught not only in word, but by action and by deed to a world, to our world. And as his disciples, we should go about doing by example what our Savior himself did. We do this today in different ways, by acts of charity, by feeding the hungry, comforting the sorrow, forgiving those who offend us. There's another form of service that is also so hidden that it is often overlooked, and it is one that is so needed today, so practical a type of Christian charity that each of us can do it. It consists of thinking and speaking and acting with integrity and respect towards others. This was the strong example of a Franciscan, not Francis of Assisi, but one of his confreres, Brother Bernard. He was one of the first companions to St. Francis of Assisi, the Great. And this is what was said. I was reading this. Brother Leo, another one of the Franciscans, the first ones with Assisi, with Francis of Assisi, was given what we call a loquition, a vision, in which he saw a large group of Franciscan friars. <laughs> you know, the Franciscan story. But they were in heaven. And one was particularly shining with great glory. And he asked, saying, who is that and why is he shining like that? And the answer, he said, it's Brother Bernard. And offered the following explanation. God has rewarded him with greater glory 
It's his right to do so if he wants, right? He has rewarded him with greater glory because while he was on earth, he always thought and spoke well of others. If he happened to meet a poor person on the street, for example, he would say to himself, Bernard, there is a person who bears poverty better than you. And if he encountered a rich man with fine clothes, he would say, now there is a person who perhaps is suffering greatly in his heart, and he has learned how to be poor in spirit, even better than you. Putting others first in our thoughts and words, as Bernard learned to do, is holiness. And it takes great courage today to do that. You know what does not require courage? The filth that people say about others. How they rip others to pieces. And stand self-righteous. That does not honor God, but yourself. God receives no glory in that. That does not take courage. That's weakness, feeble-mindedness. To do what Bernard did, to do what Jesus did, that takes courage. To walk in humbleness and holiness takes grace and courage in this world today as it did back in Jesus' time. Loving from the heart our neighbors as ourselves. What a wonderful and practical way to daily exercise holiness and humbleness. Marins, just speaking and thinking kindly of others today takes great courage, inspires hope, and is what God desires from us. You simply have to read the scriptures to find it. My friends, I hope you will reread the scriptures of today, relook at them again, and then put them into practice. I have to do it. I have to remind myself every day to do that. I remind myself that it takes courage, sometimes courage that I do not have. So I must ask for it. It takes love that sometimes I do not have. So I must pray for it. It takes grace, which I must pray for every day. As I traveled about for two weeks, I witnessed some of the worst of humanity. And at the same time, so many grace-filled moments of people who love in spite of their hardships. And they became an inspiration to me. Of course, I wrote five homilies for you guys. <clears throat> then I heard the abbot spoke in five minutes. <laughs> I've, 
That's why he's an abbot. <laughs> he's a brilliant, brilliant man. Brilliant man. I'm glad he was here with you guys. As for your prayers, my time away uh, was restful, but it gave me much to consider and think about. And uh, um, so I ask for you that you pray for all of us, but pray for your pastor. Also pray for our church in this time, the universal church, which I saw, which is hurting right now. In the church, I'm not talking about the buildings. I'm talking about its people. Its people are hurting. So let us be signs and symbols of hope and joy and respect in all things. My friends, I was blessed to be able to travel to three countries. And indeed, I found a pandemic. Yes, I found illness and all that. But the pandemic I found was hopelessness and indifference and hatred. But I also found people who had the remedy that you will not find in a pharmacy and that no government will ever mandate. Love, respect, and hope. It was abounding in all those places. Let us be about those things. Let us be ambassadors of those things in Christ's name and give glory to the Father then. Amen.